Welcome market participants. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Summer's here, and the time is right for three things in credit. Our weekly update on noteworthy developments in the credit markets that we think you should know about. All right, let's get started. This week, our three things are, one, the market's obsession with inflation continues unabated. We've gathered three distinctly different views from three high-profile sources, along with our own, and we'll let you decide where you stand. Two, the NFIB's Small Business Optimism Index is out for the month of May, and the expectations component surprised us. And three, dust off your LBO models. These credit-destroying transactions are back, with the largest deal announced since the GFC a $34 billion management buyout for privately held Medline. While LBOs are never good for creditors, event risks just might not be as bad in this cycle. We'll explain. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Heavyweights weigh in on inflation. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that one of my favorite comments on inflation risk came from the chief U.S. economist at Citigroup who said when asked about inflation, and I quote, one thing I've learned is to have humility. Inflation is just something economists do not understand well, unquote. That probably is as good an explanation as to why there has been such disagreement among market pundits on the topic. Now, if we believe in the wisdom of markets, it's worth pointing out that investors have not exactly been spooked by the prospects of inflation, with the 10-year back down to 1.5%, Remember a month ago when consensus was moving toward 2% and more than a few were forecasting 2.5%? And credit spreads are at or near post-GFC tights. In any event, weighing in recently are Paul Krugman, Nobel Prize-winning economist and the political rights' least favorite economist, Bill Dudley, former president of the New York Fed and former chief U.S. economist at Goldman Sachs, and Deutsche Bank's macro research team. Dudley, who has been steadfast in his inflation is real and risky view, came out and said the Fed is risking another recession by the way it is managing monetary policy. He believes the Fed's policy cocktail of waiting to raise rates until three conditions are met, namely employment has reached its maximum sustainable level, inflation has reached 2%, and inflation is expected to remain above 2% for some time, will result in more volatile short-term rates and a greater danger of an economic hard landing. By waiting until the economy overheats, he reasons, tightening will push unemployment sufficiently higher, causing, in turn, recession. He advocates for raising rates more gradually, i.e. starting now. Macro researchers at Deutsche Bank lay claim to what is clearly the most controversial inflation view we've seen, albeit one that has been misinterpreted, I think, by the press. In what they call the interest of intellectual diversity, it has published a view that is not their house view, but one that fits under their new what's-in-the-tails banner. The press largely picked this up as DB's view, despite the warning. And quite frankly, it's hard to know exactly what this is, but I took it as a tail-risk scenario. In any event, its authors are concerned that the U.S. macro policy, undergoing its biggest shift in direction in 40 years, will bring uncomfortable levels of inflation. That policy shift, away from fiscal discipline and toward achieving broader social goals, while admirable, 
can result in significantly higher inflation and a sovereign debt burden that ultimately hits the vulnerable and disadvantaged hardest. Like Dudley's view, the DB piece makes the case that the Fed will be too slow in tamping down inflation, which could create a significant recession and set off a chain of financial distress around the world, particularly in the emerging markets. Yeesh. And then there's Krugman's view. He likens the current situation in the U.S. to car wheels spinning furiously as the driver accelerates from a standing start before tires gain traction and the car lurches forward. All the noise and anxiety of that temporary, transitory, wheel spin is what we're experiencing now. Rising commodity prices and labor shortages. That's the economy going from zero to 60 in seconds flat, according to Krugman. On the back of the extraordinarily successful vaccination rollout, the economy has taken off and demand for all sorts of things is outstripping supply. Krugman acknowledges the problems are real, but he believes they'll mostly resolve themselves in a few months. Most of it, he goes on to say, is a temporary byproduct of extraordinarily good news. The virus is losing and the economy is winning. So there you have it. Three views of inflation within three things in credit. And for what it's worth, we remain in the Krugman camp, and we like his analogy. We believe capitalism will do what capitalism does in terms of addressing supply chain issues. We believe there remain powerful forces at work to offset some or all the inflationary forces, namely technology slash automation and globalization. We believe there is already political pushback against a true regime shift in terms of monetary and fiscal policy along the lines of what DB is suggesting. And we believe a more hawkish Fed runs the risk of short-circuiting the recovery, something that would hit not only the developed world, but also emerging markets. Let's see where we are in September when stimulus is wearing off and all of that restart friction has had time to work its way out. And we also believe in the power of markets to let politicians know when policy has blown through guardrails. As Democratic strategist James Carville once said in his best Ragin' Cajun, which I will not try and recreate, in reincarnation, I would like to come back as the bond market. You can intimidate everybody. All right, on to our second thing. The latest small business survey out of the NFIB. So we've made it a point to pay attention through the pandemic to what's going on with small business, as that is the sector that historically drives job creation. The National Federation of Independent Business, the NFIB, Small Business Optimism Index is out for the month of May, and it came in a touch weak to the estimate, its first decline since January. Trade Group's headline, nearly half of small businesses unable to fill job openings. I've heard a lot about the labor mismatch, where employers cannot find enough workers with the skills they need, so this is nothing new. But we were surprised to find when we dug into the release that the expect the economy to improve component, the forward look, had plummeted with percent better minus worse falling 26 points in the month to the weakest reading in eight years. The NFIB summed it up by saying, quote, labor is in short supply and holding back growth and inflation is rampant on Main Street, unquote. It added that neither consumers or business owners are exuberant about economic prospects for the rest of the year. There is much uncertainty about COVID, about economic policy, 
taxes, regulations, etc., and politics globally and domestically. That most certainly is not part of the narrative commonly heard today. But this rising wall of worry is consistent with something we've been focused on. The similar viewpoints coming out of consumer confidence, where present conditions remain robust, but the expectations component has decidedly rolled over. Take the latest Conference Board Consumer Confidence Report, where its expectations subindex collapsed to 99.1 from 107.9. That does not bode well for future spending. And by the way, we saw the same thing in the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Survey, where its expectations index unexpectedly fell to 78.8 in May from 82.7 in April. And now that I think about it, we saw the expectations in some of the manufacturing surveys, such as the Philly Fed and Empire State indexes, fall as well. And even the turbo-bullish GDP Now economic growth estimate out of the Atlanta Fed has seen its Q2 real GDP estimate fall from an unheard of 13.7% in early May to 9.3% today. So what do we make of all this? It's more evidence that the most bullish forecasts out there are too optimistic in our opinion. But it could very well be a bad news is good news story, because more sobering economic news just might keep the Fed on message. That a lot of this froth is just that, and froth, we know, is transitory. All right, on to our third thing. Giant LBOs are back. Nothing sends a shiver up the spine of credit investors more than rising event risk typically generated out of those change-of-control transactions that usually result in massive wealth transfers from creditors to shareholders. This past week, a consortium of alternative asset managers led by Blackstone, Carlyle, and Hellman & Friedman reached agreement to buy closely held medical equipment company Medline for a reported $34 billion, including debt, making it the largest leverage buyout since the GFC. This could be the transaction that opens up the floodgates, said an advisor at Goldman Sachs, which counseled Medline. You have ideal conditions for large LBOs, low interest rates, aggressive financing markets, and a significant amount of dry powder. To that, we would add COVID-19 in the rearview mirror, or at least the economic destructive power of it, which pre-vaccines, introduced too much uncertainty into the mix for many leverage deals to get done. And dry powder? Yes, Prequin puts that at $1.6 trillion. Consider yourself warned. But wait a sec. The Medline deal doesn't exactly fit the credit-destroying LBOs of the past in that the family will remain the largest shareholder, which presumably is not interested in seeing the business founded by the CEO's father back in 1966, put in a precarious position. Current management will be kept in place, making a cultural shift and shock less likely to employees and customers. Press reports say consideration was half in the form of equity and half in debt, a far cry from the debt-heavy LBOs of the past, where there was a distinct sense of winner's curse hanging over creditors' heads. Growing the business seems to be the plan, according to management's announcement, Quote, the company plans to use the new resources from the partnership to expand its product offerings, accelerate international expansion, and continue to make new infrastructure investments to strengthen its global supply chain, unquote. That's a far cry from traditional LBO's MO of slashing costs and selling assets. 
And while creditors should begin to run their LBO models once again, now that we, hopefully, are emerging from the pandemic, we would bring to your attention comments Blackstone President Jonathan Gray made in an interview to the Wall Street Journal back in May, where the firm's orientation is shifting toward investing in growth stories as opposed to the kind of firms that used to comprise LBO bait, underperformers that need fixing. Medline seems to fit the former. Now, grizzled credit investors may be skeptical of that, certainly when taking into account the mountain of private equity dry powder, but it does feel to us like growth may be more in fashion in this cycle than it has been in past ones. And maybe you can take some comfort in that as the floodgates open. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, the market's obsession with inflation continues unabated. We stand with the Fed and markets in believing in the transitory story. Two, the NFIB's most, most recent small business optimism index joins recent surveys of consumer and manufacturing sentiment in painting a less optimistic future. And three, big LBOs are back and creditors should update those LBO models. But maybe, just maybe, there will be less destruction of creditor value in this cycle. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on kbra.com for our latest rating reports and research. See you next week.